0: Amen. Please remain standing and hear now the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I'll be picking up at verse 18 and going through the end of the chapter. And These are the words of God. Jesus speaking says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me and has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke then leaning back on jesus breast he said to him lord who is it jesus answered it is he to whom i shall give a piece of bread when i have dipped it and having dipped the bread he gave it to judas iscariot the son of simon now after the piece of bread now after the piece of bread satan entered him then jesus said to him what you do do quickly But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. These are the words of God. Let's ask his blessing now. Father in heaven, your word is before us. Now by your spirit, do a work in our hearts by this word. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and seek him with the whole heart. And so we seek you now with our hearts whole open before you. Have your way with us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. John's goal in writing his gospel is to reveal to us who Jesus is, who, to reveal to, to people in his generation who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one from God the Father, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of Man, the title of which is given to the Great Deliverer, and that he is the Great I Am. He is God. He is, he is the one who ordains all things. And this is going to be key in this part of this, in this, part of this chapter here. Jesus is the one who ordains all things. God says through Isaiah, we just sang Isaiah chapter 60, the, the wonderful epiphany passage, a wonderful passage about um, all of the Gentiles flowing in, the Gentile nations flowing to this Messiah, to this Son of Man, to this Son of God. Um, You're here this morning, all of you um, strange nations, you heathens, as, as, as Isaiah would have referred to you, you strange people have been brought in to the Messiah, have been brought in to the Son of Man, who have been brought to the, the mountain on high that where God is worshipped, where Jehovah is, where Yahweh is. And Jesus has brought you. He's brought, he's brought the nations and is bringing the nations in. And he's done so um, because he ordained to do so. He predestined before the world began that you'd be sitting here this morning. He predestined before the world began that you'd be sitting in that particular chair. Oh, you thought you decided which row to sit in. No, I'm sorry. God ordained that before the foundation of the world. But, but you did decide also. and that's, that's, the wonderful, uh, uh, that's the wonderful thing about God's predetermined plans and, he's, and his work of predestination. It doesn't thwart man's free will at all. He's, he's at work perfectly through you and accomplishing exactly what he wants. Down to, um, and uh, this passage will show, down to even the selection of the row that you sat in. I'll show you that. Isaiah says something else about the or, ordinate, uh, God's ordaining work. Um, the Lord is speaking to, and Isaiah, Isaiah records in Isaiah chapter 44, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Now, we know that Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last in Revelation. This is speaking of Jesus. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Let him, let, then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. So he's speaking... Um, with, uh, he's speaking tongue-in-cheek, he's, he's speaking, speaking provoking the false prophets, provoking the false gods, who cannot determine what is going to take place, not in the way that he can. And he, and he goes on, he says, have I not told you from that time and declared it? Have I not told you what's going to happen and declared it? And, and then it brings about, it is brought about. You are my witnesses, he says. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So this is, the, this is the kind of, these are the kinds of words that God used talking about himself, talking about the way that he controls the world, the way he knows all that is going to take place, the way that he has foreordained all things that are going to come to pass. And, and, and this is what Jesus is going to be talking about in, in these passages and why he, he has done these things in this particular way. But what's amazing is we're finding out that this omnipotent, omniscient, infinite God ordained his own betrayal. That's what he ordained. He ordained a failed ministry. He ordained being, being denied and, and walked away from by all of his disciples. He, did not, he, he ordained his cruel, tortuous death. Omniscient, omnipresent, can do anything he wants, can write the story any way he wants to. And that's what your Savior wrote. That's the story he wrote. That's the place he put himself in that story. His own betrayal. These first verses here, 18 through 30, speak of Jesus talking about this coming betrayal of Judas, which he knew. He knew and he selected Judas following the washing of the disciples' feet. So here here it was. He's just washed their feet, he, he's, he's taught them and instructed them and corrected them that, that he must do so. He, he, he's the one who provides the cleansing for us. And then he goes on and says, I want you to do the same kind of thing. I want you to lower yourself and love one another just the way I, I love you. I want you to give yourself away and bear with one another just as I bear with you. I want you to forgive one another and give yourself away for one another just like I do for you. And it would almost have been this perfect, I call it a Hallmark card moment. Except that Jesus kind of ruins it by quoting now one of those troubling psalms. Those psalms that I have make you sing. God makes you sing. Those, those psalms that have all those hard words in them. Jesus bear, uh, uh, quotes fr- from one. He, he says, verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Wow, that would have ruined the moment, I think. And Jesus, so Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Later on, he says that in a few verses down. Jesus is so sure that he tells the disciples beforehand. So he says, when it happens, they will know who he is. He's not just good at kind of foretelling. He's not like a good weather forecaster can kind of take a look at the dials and, and determine, well, it looks like it's, you know, 90% chance this is going to take place. That's not what's going on. Jesus knows who he has chosen he makes very clear what's going to happen. And so he says, I- I'm telling you this now so that when it comes to pass, you will believe that I am he. Uh, we, we know of Judas as the great betrayer. The 12 did not know Jesus, Judas as the great betrayer. They knew Judas as the one who was so trusted by the Lord that he was the one who carried the treasure. He carried all of the support money that they had, that they lived off of during those three years. He he apparently was a a close friend with Jesus. There's just no no, um, thought in the minds of the disciples that Judas would be one who would betray. They they look to one another, they say, who's he talking about? And they they have no idea. We when you think of Judas, you immediately think of this, you know, sinister. But for three years, he walked with Jesus as his friend, as his companion, as one who would eat bread with him. That's what companion means—to eat bread with. Uh, so he's he's eating bread with Jesus. He's living with Jesus. He's serving in the ministry with Jesus. Apparently, he's taking a few extra dimes out of the pot for himself every once in a while, um, not for Jesus. But this is what happens. So Jesus ordains this betrayal. But he also says it was prophesied beforehand, quoting from Psalm 41, verse 9. This this phrase, um, uh, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me, comes from a psalm written by David. And, And that psalm, Psalm 41, may refer to the betrayal of David by his close advisor, Ahithophel, during the revolt led by David's son, Absalom. That takes place in 2 Samuel. You can read about it in chapters 15 through 18. So Absalom is leading a revolt against David, and Ahithophel is David's close friend, his close advisor. He betrays David. He goes to the side of Absalom. Things don't go well, and you might recall how Ahithophel, how, how he dies. He puts his things into order his, his thing's in order, and he hangs himself. He hangs himself. And so, we have ne- ne- the uh, betrayer of this lesser David hung himself. Judas will go about and hang himself as well. And now that which had been ordained, what had, which, that which had been foreshadowed, that which had been prophesied, is finally also commanded openly by Jesus himself. What you do, he says do quickly. He commands Judas to go and do what he had ordained. He commands Ju- Judas to go and do what had been foreshadowed. He commands Judas to do go and do what had been ordained before all time. And Judas freely goes. We, we, we don't know. We speculate on what Judas has in mind in terms of the betrayal. Why does he wait until, until this time? Is he frustrated? Um, it's, it's thought that he men, might have been among the zealots and, and he was hoping to, to stir up trouble um, and stir up trouble so that there would be a great revolt against the, the uh, Jewish authorities um, and place Jesus into in power. But we don't know for sure what was, what was going on. But Judas is freely deciding. He's, he ends up going and, uh, and, and making a plot with the, with the leaders, with the priests, and, and, and gets paid money in order to betray Jesus. He's in on it. He wants to do these things. And yet God ordained it, prophesied it, foreshadowed, and commanded him to do it. And yet, at the same time, it says uh, that Jesus was troubled in his soul. Verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So this is what he's troubled over. He's troubled over his coming betrayal, just as any man would be. Remember, he's fully God, but he is fully man. What's worse than being betrayed by a close friend? It hurts to be wronged. It hurts to be wronged in in all kinds of different ways, but it's double, it's doubly hurtful to be betrayed by a trusted friend. David expressed this in his psalm, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Nothing hits in the gut like that of a close friend or partner or spouse or loved one who uses their position of closeness, of trustworthiness to betray. Judas had walked with the Lord for three years. It's very possible that he was reclining at Jesus' side when he hands him the piece of bread. That, that would be the reason why nobody else heard the answer that Jesus gives to John and the words that then, or the, John asked the question of Jesus, but then um, Jesus gives the bread to Judas and then says, go and do this quickly. Nobody else hears that. They, they don't know exactly what's going on. They think maybe he's instructed him to go and, and buy some things for the feast that's coming or, or to give money to the poor. He's, he's reclining at his side. That would have been a place of honor to, if, if Jesus is the host here at this table, he would, he would seat those um, in a place of honor would be next to him. And to take bread and, and dip it and hand it to someone would also be an act of honor by the host, an act of particular hospitality that would be given. So, so Jesus is identifying the betrayer by, by, show, by, and by doing these things with acts of honor to, to this man to his friend, to the ones that everybody knew Jesus trusted and this man served. So so while we can see what is going on here as we hear this story, the others have no idea at all. This very same disciple who complained over a wasted jar of expensive oil poured over Jesus was willing to now sell him away for 30 pieces of silver. What are we to learn from this? What, what do we learn from our Savior in this? When we are betrayed, first of all, betrayal is 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 so hurtful. When we are betrayed, we might take solace with Jesus, who was more wickedly betrayed than you ever would be, ever could be. This, this perfect Lord and Savior was betrayed. If you've been betrayed, you can find great solace and comfort in knowing that your Savior has been betrayed. He knows what it's like. He knows the hurt, and he will bring you much comfort. And then we also learn from him how to love at such times. He knows he's going to be betrayed, and look at what he does. Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, the admirable meekness of the Lamb of God. Not one angry word fell from his lips. Why are we so full of wrath when we are ill-used? It's a good question for yourself. When, when, When things go against you, when you are hurt by someone else, why are you so full of wrath? Why are you so full of wrath? Well, one of the reasons would be, you, 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 you say this to yourself, I deserve better than this. I, I, how, how dare they, right? Well, who could say that? Who is more qualified to say that than the Lord Jesus Christ? How dare you betray me? How, how dare you sell me for 30 pieces of silver? Who who would be more qualified than Jesus Christ? And yet, what does he do? He loves him till the end. He loves him till the end. He's even going to receive a kiss from Judas in the garden. Well, we go on, verse 31. So when they had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. So John is very careful to connect this next section to what has just happened. It's not a change of scene. It's not a change of subject. When, when he had gone out. When Judas left. Jesus said. Now the son of man is glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify himself. And glorify him immediately. So the betrayal has begun. And yet Jesus announces. That this glorification has now come. When everything appears to be going wrong we are to see the glory of God in action. There you go. When, when it appears that everything is going wrong, we are to see with eyes of faith the glory of God in action. His departure is tied to his glory. And we know this because, um, because on the cross, Jesus is glorified and the Father is glorified in him in the reversing of the great calamity that fell upon the first Adam when he sinned. As Jesus hangs on the cross, the payment, the atonement necessary for any sinner to be made right is paid. The, the, the opportunity for the world to be completely changed takes place there at the cross. And it's all done by the gift of the father of, with his son, and the gift of the son in laying down his life. There is the glory of God revealed in the midst where it appears that everything is going wrong. Christ on the cross is glorious because there, and only there, his atoning death paid for all the sins of his chosen ones. It is the central moment, then, in all of history. There's a mutual glorification between the Father and the Son in this great act. It shines at the cross And then it shines through the resurrection, Romans 1, 4, where Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He's declared there to be the Son of God with power. And so we are to see that the cross, the cross is, you oftentimes think that the cross is the path to glory, but what we are also to see is that the the cross is the path of glory. The cross is the path of glory. Christ on the cross is the glory of God. Christ on the cross is is the love of God. God so loved the world that Christ hung on a cross to the glory of God. Now this love then, this, this love of God that is incarnate, God is love, and there he is impaled on a cross. God is love, and there he is, Their their love is a personal, a person hanging on a cross. And then then he goes on and says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Again, not a change of subject. This is the glory now spread. This is, the, this is the glory of God spread by love given and spread as well. He says, I'm going to, be, I'm going to depart. I'm going to leave. The Son of Man is about glory, is to be glorified. And, and if you're a disciple, you're like, okay, let's see this. Right? Let's see this. The glory of God. Here it comes. The glory of Jesus. And he says, now I'm leaving, actually. You said, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see this glory. No, I'm leaving. I'm departing. And where I'm going, you can't come with. We can't come and see your glory? No, you are. I'm glorified, and now I'm leaving. I mean, imagine, imagine the confusion that you would have there as he's talking about this. So if Jesus departs, who will see the glory of the Son and of the Father? Well, the betrayal will bring forth that glory. The betrayal would bring forth his departure, and this is all an act of love, of gracious, unmerited love and this is why jesus now turns to those who will be his body and gives them a new commandment i have loved and you are my body well you're my body do what i do you are to love one another now one might ask how is this a new commandment? Leviticus says, uh, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's an old commandment. Jesus already said that the two great commandments can be summed up, or all the commandments can be summed up in these two love God and love your neighbor. And here he's saying, Love one another. What's, what's new about this? That's worth thinking about. That's worth, that's worth coming to an understanding with regard to you, because you've been commanded to, you're one of the disciples. And what he's giving you is a new commandment. How is it new? What makes this commandment new? Let's think about this. In the same way that the new covenant perfects rather than replaces the old covenant, so the new commandment fulfills the old. In the same way that the new commandment is not a replacement of the old, but rather a a full bloom of the old covenant, a fulfillment of the old covenant, In the same way, this new commandment, same words, this new commandment is a fulfillment of the old. And this is how the glory is revealed after the sun departs. God is love, and God became incarnate, and when Jesus departs, his body continues with this incarnate love. Look, stop thinking of love as this kind of feeling, like I could take out a can and spray it in the air, and we'd all have this sensation of Love. Love is not a sensation. Love is a person. Love is a person with particular actions. Jesus Christ is love. And what Jesus Christ tells us to do is to be him, to be his body, to be incarnate love, and to be incarnate love for one another. So this love is first bestowed upon us and indwells us by the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is not um, some kind of fuzz in the air that, that drifts down upon you and then and, and goes inside of you. The Holy Spirit is a person who indwells you, okay? So the Holy Spirit is the love of God. The Holy Spirit is the love of God that dwells in your incarnate life because you're the body of Christ and Jesus Christ is love. It, it's the ongoing work of the same love that Jesus Christ did for us Now, worked out in the way that we are to live with one another. Now, so this, it it dwells us by the Holy Spirit. And the person of the Holy Spirit is going to be discussed in the next, in the following chapters, in in a number of different ways. So we'll be exploring this in, in the next passages. But think of it this way The Lord lavished his love upon us through the cross, it comes upon and in us in a person. And this person manifests his fruit in us as we live by faith in him. We bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit indwells us. We love because we are love incarnate by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's natural to the new human, to the new humanity to the new man that we are in Christ. It's natural. Now, there's the battle of the flesh and the spirit. Um, Paul talks about this in Galatians, that the spirit doesn't want to do what the flesh wants to do, and the flesh doesn't want to do what the spirit wants to do, and they are contrary to one another. But he says, if we live by the spirit, we live by the spirit, then then we will walk according to the spirit. We'll walk according to that spirit in us. So Jesus commands us to love, and then he gives us love. He gives us love as a person. You say, "God, I can't love her. I, I can't love him. I, I, cannot, I can't do this." Jesus says, "Fine, I'll do it through. I'll, I'll do it for you. Here. Here's my holy Spirit. Your, your flesh says, "Not on my life am I loving that person? Not right now. Come and talk to me in a couple of days. Maybe we'll think about it then. And Jesus says, I'll, "I'll give you the love. You can have mine. And He gives you your holy Spirit. Who is love? His love, the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, the mutual indwelling and glorification of one another has been given to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so you, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you cannot and you may not say, I I just can't love that person. I cannot love that brother or sister in Christ. I can't. You cannot and you may not. Because the moment you do, you're denying the Holy Spirit. You're denying the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You're denying what's been granted to you. This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, I know it's going to be tough. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Both to make you able and to make you willing. Work out that salvation, turn and love. Because God's at work in you, giving you by his Holy Spirit, a person who is love to work that out. This is why we need to explore and understand better the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, in our lives. And Jesus is going to be speaking about it in in, in the following chapters. But here's just just one thought to put in your mind. You remember when he says, it's better that I go away because then I will send the Holy Spirit? And you think, you know, I'd kind of like Jesus to stick stick around. But it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you, who is love at work inside of you, rather than Jesus standing right there saying to love one another. Didn't work so well for Judas, did it? Right? But when we've been taken over by the Holy Spirit, when we've been and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, it changes everything. It's better that He goes, that the Spirit can be poured out. And then it's poured, it's poured out, it's epiphany, it's poured out not just upon a handful of Jews, but over all of the nations. And the nations come streaming to the Lord and to, his, and to His glory. We become the glory of God. We become the expression of the glory of God. The glory of God, in that sense, never leaves this earth. Jesus, in all of His glory, pours out that glory in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit, in His love, and we represent that. We live that out as we um, love one another in the power of the Spirit. This is how they, that they will know, verse 35, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I wish you would have said, if you had your doctrine right. That, you know, if I had like all of your, because I, I love books. I love studying theology. I love figuring out those tough questions, get answers to them. And Jesus says, They'll know you're my disciples because you love to read those books and, and talk about theology and, and figure out who God is. No, he just says, Love one another. Peter's like me, he's distracted. Love one another. Peter says, Where are you going? Did you hear my last sentence, Peter? Uh, no, not really. Where, where are you going? <laughs> Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, 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 why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down for my sake? And remember, I've told you this, most assuredly, is a vow. Amen, amen. I say to you, the rooster shall not crow. So you have denied me three times. So Peter, distracted as we would be by these words of Christ's departure, seems to not even hear the important commands of Jesus. The prophetic predictions seem much more exciting than just the love one another commands. Many, many men get caught up in theological and eschatological debates who ought to first be focused on following Christ's simple commands. The big E on the chart. Peter puts his foot in his mouth then claiming that he would die for Jesus, and even how much more faithful he is than the others in, in Mark. Mark's gospel, which is probably Peter's gospel dictated or given to Mark. Mark was a follower with Peter in, in the work. And Mark records Peter saying, "Even though they all fall away, I will not." This is an example of Proverbs 16:18. "Pride goes before destruction. In a haughty spirit before a fall. So Christ again prophesies, this time to Peter's great shame. And we see that God's predestination of all things extends even to the row that you're sitting in or the crowing of a rooster. J.C. Ryle says this, and I have a lengthier quote than what you have in your outline We never know how far we might fall if we were tempted. We fancy sometimes, like Peter, that there are some things we could not possibly do. We look pitifully upon others who fall into certain sins and please ourselves in the thought that at any rate, we should not have done so. We know nothing at all. The seeds of every sin are latent in our hearts, even when renewed. And they only need occasion or carelessness Or the withdrawal of God's grace for a season to put forth an abundant crop. And this is because following Christ and reflecting his glory means living in circumstances that look like failure. That look like failure. So here then is what faith does with so-called failure. That so-called failure in your life. Not wispy faith, I'm not talking about, but faith like Jesus had in the Father. This failure is, is actually, this, this circumstance in your life, this bad wrong that has gone on in your life is actually God's perfect plan for glory. He is going to be glorified in that. And so, what we are called to do is to live out in this, live this glory out in the way that we love one another. Command to love one another is not a command that is given to people who it's easy to love. That's not It's not a command given to. You're not commanded to love somebody who you just love to love. You're commanded to love people who are not so easy to love. It's in circumstances where it makes no sense to love. John was uh, leaning upon Jesus' bosom. And remember, I have told you the first 18 verses of John, John chapter 1, are really a... Um, a preface to the entire book, but well, we are told in in John one eighteen that the Son is in the bosom of the Father. It means he he is lying close to him um, at at a table uh, a, a table where a meal would be eaten. There were no chairs; the table was set very low, and you would recline on one side and then eat. And if you wanted to speak to someone who's reclined next to you, you would just kind of lean into them, and there they were. And so, you, if you were if you would have your honored guests next to you or you, your closest friends and you'd lean into them and you'd speak to them, you were in their bosom. You were close. You were friends. The, Jesus, the son, is in the bosom of the father. And John makes a point of saying that, the, that he was leaning upon Jesus' bosom in, in verse 23. We're also told that he is the beloved disciple. He's the beloved disciple. But what does it mean to be a beloved disciple? To live in the love of the Father and the Son, to reflect their glory, is to find oneself living in difficult and messed up circumstances. Do you want to be a beloved disciple? Because that's the JD, to live in difficult and messed up circumstances. Yeah, that's the JD. A beloved disciple, you will feel inglorious. It won't feel like glory because because the love that you give will be in small and petty and daily things. It will be in big and large and hurtful things sometimes, but oftentimes it's just in daily small and petty things and it doesn't feel glorious at all. It certainly didn't feel or look glorious in one sense as Jesus hangs on the cross, as Judas betrays him, but it was. God says that was glory. And it won't be, it won't seem glory, it won't see like it's glory when you're taking care of your kids all day long. When you're, when you're responding to a spouse who has kind of spoken out at you it's about something and you turn and choose to love. Um, when you're dealing with people, brothers and sisters, in, uh, in the church or throughout your week in different ways, and, and, and you're in the middle of days of many, many interruptions, You are to remember you have a greater JD that's been given to you to love one another. In the middle of those interruptions and little failures, we are told, Galatians 6.10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so it will take place in petty little things, that opportunity to be the glory of God. The object of your love will often be to people and in circumstances that are unworthy of that love. Because that's the kind of love it is. It's agape love. It is unconditional love. There's no conditions for it. That love, that forgiveness, that bearing with. But as we live in this new birth as true followers of Jesus, filled with his spirit of love, the glory of Christ will be on display. And what is our chief end? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Well, how do I glorify God? Well, this passage seems to give us some very on the ground ways to think about that how do you bring glory to God love one another love one another display to the world that you are my disciples because they will see a love they don't have a love that is in a person that has been placed in us that has filled us that changes us that transforms us that makes us people that we would not be otherwise and that is our chief end to glorify God in such a way And finally, though many like Judas will betray Jesus and his people, though many may deny Christ like Peter, Jesus will never betray, never distance, never lose those he loves. It's it's important to remember this. Jesus is speaking to disciples who will fall short. And you hear these commands, and I I can just imagine, as I am, of thinking of uh, places where to apply this truly is going to be hard, it seems. And what you need to hear and understand is it will never be hard for Christ to love you. It will never be hard for Christ, who will never betray you, who will only comfort and encourage, even in discipline, who will only bring you up more and more into his likeness. Jesus will never betray, nor will he ever deny you, He will never lose you. He will never cease loving you. But to understand that, we have to get into the next chapters of this gospel. He loves perfectly. And that perfect love is the person of his spirit in you, Christ in you. Christ in you, Paul said, the hope of glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the perfect work of your Son who knew this betrayal was glory. And thank you both for the command to love one another, these brothers and sisters in Christ who are in our lives, and the work of your Spirit in our hearts to do so in our difficult times. For this is your glory as well. Open our hearts here with faith in you, and that love, that love that you give, love for one another. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.